Hey everybody, Dave Hodges here, host of the Common Sense Show. Really glad you could join us. Thanks for being with us. We have a terrific segment here in our guest segment with our guest, Paul Preston, who is the president of the New California 51st State Movement. He also is the host of the popular radio show, very popular radio show, Agenda 21 Radio. And uh, we're going to talk about both of those ventures, and we're going to talk about a lot about New California. We're going to talk about some current events that are going on. That Paul broke a big story this morning on the liquidity issue and uh, global trade, or the lack of it. And we're going to get into all that here on the Common Sense Show. First, I need to let you know that we got to pay some bills, and there are people that keep the lights on for us here. So this is really important stuff. Please pay attention because this is stuff you need. Number one. Uh, if you think your money is going to stay in the bank over the next six months to a year and you're not going to be affected, you're making a huge mistake. Huge. I can absolutely guarantee you that bank values, your money, is going to be affected at minimum, at maximum, your bank may close. And you're not high on the list to get your money back and the insurance will not cover you because it doesn't extend far enough. So what do you do? You should be buying gold, noble gold. They're good at converting IRAs into gold-backed IRAs. They're really good at selling gold at lower than market value. They delay a day or two, and that's because they want to get it out in this rising environment, and they're trying to save you money. And they're really good, and they'll explore with you the options of how you convert your soon-to-be-worthless cash that's going to be trash and probably going to crash. They'll help you convert that to gold and to silver. How do you get a hold of them? Listen carefully. 877-646-5347. That's 877-646-5347. Tell them you heard it right here on the Common Sense Show with Dave Hodges. Also, too, ladies and gentlemen, we have had two successive record months in selling storable food. Why? Because America has finally awakened. You are your own first responder. That's right. The government ain't going to be there with their hand out saying, hey, we're here to save you. Huh. They're worried about themselves. They probably can't meet their own needs. So what you need to do is get stored up right now. Now, this is the best storable food in the business. I've tasted it. It's terrific. It's like restaurant quality. 25-year shelf life. No glyphosates. No GMOs. Okay, And all the details are on the website at preparewithdave.com. That's preparewithdave.com. Well, that's who keeps the lights on for this particular segment with Paul Preston. Paul, welcome to the show. Really glad you could join us. And, man, I hope we can find something to talk about. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> yes, I'm kidding you. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I don't think I've ever seen a time. In fact, I know. I have never seen a time since I've been engaged in this media work since, oh, I think the first exposure I had was about 03. So what's that, 17 years? I have never seen a time like what we're living in right now. Well, that's, uh, it's almost like an understatement. And, um, you know, I'm glad you actually bring it up because I think that you, you probably have an audience like I have an audience that, or you have a lot of uh, younger middle-aged people who don't remember, you know, back in the day. Yeah, exactly. And uh, how much we've sort of lived through. I, I can, uh, I was uh, sort of reminiscing with my audience uh, this morning. That really, my first political exposure was as a young child growing up, and really the really the first time 
politics really resonated with me as a kid was as I was watching the Nixon-Kennedy debate. That was my uh, first inoculation into politics, and I've been hooked on it ever since and been watching and been keenly studying and playing an active role and that sort of thing over the last, well, I'm not going to say how many years. <laughs> but um, You just I, gave it away seen. with Kennedy-Nixon. That was, yeah, 19, that was 1960, <laughs> Paul. <laughs> anyway... Um, but I can, yeah, I can vividly remember that, and I, I was, I've been hooked ever since. So I've been a junkie on it, but also been reporting it, and we've been reporting here on Agenda Twenty One Radio since two thousand eleven. But before that, I started radio in nineteen ninety nine, and then I was doing media and television, local origination TV, produced over three hundred TV shows back in the early nineties, and, and covered exclusively, the, of course, the Orange County bankruptcy. That was really another part of um, my um, my inoculation into politics so i've seen uh, two impeach well yeah two impeachments with uh, nixon no three excuse me two impeachments nixon clinton and now um donald trump and i've you know witnessed just so much the you know you go back and just look at all that history but we've never seen times like this we've never seen the constitution so challenged like we have uh, case in point of course what happened with schumer yesterday and then before that, though, the attack by the um, the, the House of Representatives um, on our Constitution by this unlawful, illegal, unconstitutional impeachment of Donald J. Trump. So, uh, yeah, it's trying times. Our Constitution is actually really in the breach right now. A lot of people might not understand that, but it is absolutely um, at risk. And the Founding Fathers feared these days. They absolutely feared these days that there would be so much of an attack on the Constitution, but you know that I think at the end of the day we're going to find out that the Founding Fathers prepared prepared us properly, and we will endure, and uh, so will the Constitution, and become even much stronger in the in the in the days and weeks and months and years and centuries ahead. Well, they say whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and I think you're right on the money with your assessment mm -hmm. about making us stronger. But, Paul, there is the possibility that this country could be irrevocably broken, uh, mm -hmm. particularly if we let the Chuck Schumers, the Nancy Pelosi's, the Joe Bidens ever take over our government. Right. Absolutely. Uh, these are these are these are folks that really want to truly destroy our country. And, you know, case in point is just Schumer. All of a sudden he just, you know, he actually threatens um, and does something very dangerous. Those are the words of Chief Justice uh, Roberts, not mine. And uh, wait a minute, excuse me, but he threatened the justices, in other words, by the interpretation of what it was heard by Chief Justice Roberts. Now, that's a, that's a federal crime to stand on the grounds of the, uh, the Supreme Court and threaten the judges or anybody within. Now, that's that's something that Schumer, of course, quickly reacted on. My point is, is that this violent vitriol that we're getting from the left, and clearly it's violence, um, what are they trying to tell us? They want violence in the street. They want to, they, they want to uh, threaten and intimidate the judges on the Supreme Court. That is not, that is absolutely not what we want in America. And, but, you know, this, is, this, this act that he did yesterday is an act of a very desperate man very desperate and I think that is indicative of what's going on on the left they're desperate they're going to do everything they probably possibly can to incite violence I think we all need to be aware of that and um, 
you know, again, cooler heads need to prevail in these trying times. But, you know, there's a lot coming down the pike for these people. Uh, they've already experienced some, had some negative experiences of their own clever designs to try to destroy this country. It's all been thrown back on them. But um, they're, they're in the last throes, I think, of their totalitarian dreams and to turn this country into a totalitarian state. It's not going to happen. Well, I would look at it this way. I, I, I agree with you, but I think there is that proverbial fork in the road. And here's what I mean. They have lost the opportunity to seize power through quasi-legitimate means, through an election. No matter how much they pervert the election, how much uh, voter fraud there is, they still are giving the appearance of attempted legitimacy to take over the government. But it doesn't stop with that failure. My humble opinion, Paul, is that they're not going to give up when they know they're going to get their butts handed to them in November they are going to go to more dramatic means to get what they want. I, you know, I think we all need to prepare for that. I absolutely do. And I think that that game is something that's not beyond, um, you know, them, them doing. I think that as every day grows, um, goes by, and as this president starts to come, become stronger and stronger and stronger, I think you're going to see an intervention by the president to put a stop to anything that might come up. And I think that that day is coming very quickly. Wow. I do agree with you totally. But let me ask you this. How can you stop what you're not able to predict? Um, I, I think that uh, I would I would disagree with about the, the prediction part of it. I think it's pretty much out on the table, and I, I want to say it's the good work of yourself and so many others like, you know, myself and uh, Scott Adams and Tori and everybody on Red State Talk Radio and all around uh, Mike Adams um, that have been, you know, in, in the deep states, you know, I guess you would say uh, in the deep states um, soul, they, in Mellon, if you will. Um, they, they don't like people like us because we've been telling the truth and we've been getting out the word and the information that the mainstream media is not necessarily doing. And I really um, <clears throat> I want to applaud uh, Fox News for after even months, sometimes years of reporting by people like you and I, they're finally reporting the truth. There seems to be somewhat of a delay. But as we get closer, I think, to this election and to circumstances that are really started, starting to cycle together, um, they're starting to actually report the truth that you and I and so many others have been reporting for years. I, and I, I'll go back to the, you know, the, the whole situation with the Ukraine. You know, I found it astounding that all of a sudden all the information that we had been reporting uh, on the Ukraine from 2012 to 2013 and 14 all of a sudden becomes, you know, front page news in, in the last year and a half. And I'm sitting there going, geez, you know, where were you guys before? We were reporting all that and laying the groundwork. And that's what the alternative media has done is we've laid that groundwork. And the, I think it's actually stuck now with the, most people. They, you know, If you want to get real news, you're going to have to go to an alternative media site such as ours and listen to what we're talking about because we're doing we're doing like real research. And we have like real people helping us out in various places and governmental organizations and all around the world actually to help us out find the information. And guess what? Shockingly, our information is true. <laughs> it's true. And um, you know this this is the dilemma that the left has. 
is that um, they are living in an alternative universe where the media is being reported by the mainstream media. That's all they know. So this whole thing about what you and I report is um, is foreign to them. They they don't understand. How do you guys get the truth? And then, of course, they don't even understand how does it all work that we get our information out to people. And that's a, that's a, that stymies them on the left. And I think that this is... Um, it creates a, a, a reality distortion field, if you will, for them, and uh, so they're they're kind of stuck doing the same old thing with the same old uh, news and information streams that they think that is affecting people all over the place. When in, when in fact most people are turning away from that that uh, mainstream media and going to alternative media like us and getting the truth. So I think they're really kind of in a, a bad bind because they're being shown to be liars and cheats and thieves and thugs and everything else. And it's very true. They certainly out here in California, the extortion rackets, the government actually are running is pretty, pretty prevalent. This is just, you know, I, I just think that uh, what we're telling the people, the truth about what's going on based upon our research, which, you know, it's kind of addictive. We can't stop it. I can't stop myself from reporting the truth. It's kind of funny. I know you do the same thing, Dave. <clears throat> I know. But imagine a mainstream media that did nothing but report the truth honestly all the time. We might have honest government. That's, that's exactly right. We might have honest government. <clears throat> government of the people, for the people, and by the people, like the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, and the Bill of Rights state all the time. Well, my... Here's my fear. <clears throat> I think there's 20% of the country that's awake. I think there is about 10% of the country that's dedicated to the Republic's destruction and the installment of a Bolshevik type of revolution followed by, you know, Soviet-style communism. And in the middle is everybody else to various degrees who are ignorant and dumb as a box of rocks and they get their news from CNN, but they don't even pay attention to that. And you have to worry that CNN's not the last voice they hear before they vote. Um, if you follow what I'm saying, the great unwashed in the middle of the country, um, they could decide this upcoming election, and it scares me because they're so ignorant. Well, um, I, I would... Um... Uh, I would agree there's a, a massive and again massive amount of ignorance brought about by the um, the educational system and the mass media over you know, people have been over propagandized for a long time and I think that um, what I've been finding especially with with the new California state movement we had just a spectacular show um, on Friday night you were there I was Friday, there and we rolled out um, the kids and the kids I call them the kids because you know and they're going they're, they're in their 30s and 35 <laughs> and they're not kids of course but um, the outstanding outstanding representation of um, individuals who came forward the, the youngster the young ones that we've been worried about you know do they get it do they understand it and you know we talk about this all the time in the new California state movement how can we articulate and get the information to the kids and the kids need to be there and I got to tell you, we had an outstanding representation of the youth movement within New California. I mean, we actually hit the sweet spot on a number of different things. We had two Stanford students who got up there and banged it out of the park. You had some really, I quote, cowboys who got up there, uh, young men who uh, from Petaluma High School who were just outstanding. 
and then so many other that that you know were invited up on stage to talk. It was really impressive. I think, Dave, there's a lot more um, behind the scenes in terms of our own population, in terms of support. They're seeing President Trump step up, and they're seeing the president become stronger and stronger and stronger every day. Look at what this president has gone through. This is what he has gone through is heroic. It's epic. You know, he he just sat back. He but again, what he has done is he has shown the whole world that if you tell the truth and you can stand by the truth. Now, and that's just that's just such a basic principle of humanity and he has absolutely stood by the truth. He did nothing wrong in the Russiagate thing. He's done nothing wrong in the Ukraine. He's st- stood by the truth, and he's won. And he stared these monsters down, these totalitarian monsters, which you had Nancy Pelosi form a dictatorship within the House of Representatives. It collided with the Senate, which was a great display of bicameralism, actually, in the, in the United States. It was it, the first time this has ever happened, and that that's epic. And, and so my point is, is that, you know, Donald Trump has been drugged through the knothole backwards, and he's come out stronger. And I think people respect that, and I know the youngers really respect that. After all the trials and tri- tribulations, this guy's gotten stronger. He's gotten more in stride. He knows what this country's about. He's, he's getting, you know, he's, his, I can't wait for his second term because I know we're going to be a new state. That, that's, that's just sort of a given, especially after this weekend, Mike Huck- Huckabee, comes out and endorses New California and says, you know, hey, you you heard him, you will be soon. Those are his words. You will be soon, the 51st state. Yes. And, um, yeah, that was a, that's what my, my point is, I think the general population of the United States see this. They respect, and I think they honor this man's presidency like we've never seen before. He has brought so much back to the presidency in terms of credibility and so much respect worldwide from all these totalitarian tyrants, by the way, um, that it, it's just, it, it's, um, it's, it's to the younger people inspirational. And you heard of, you heard those kids speak, you, you were there. Um, you, I think you have a population of, of ne- kids now that are much more enamored with this president than you probably, anybody probably imagined. Yeah, but there's equal or greater number, and I'd say greater number, that are enamored with the promise of something for nothing from Bernie Sanders. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm, um, you know, on the one hand, I get accused of being a Bernie Sanders supporter, and um, of course, uh, I am from the standpoint that Bernie Sanders got screwed in the 2016 presidential election out here with Hillary Clinton. And it was my, I know it was this radio show, or my radio show, Agenda 21 Radio, that was leading the cause that Bernie got screwed by, you know, Hillary. And then, then of course, they, Trump comes out here in 26, and he gets, you know, 5 million votes against him by Hillary Clinton, which is totally bogus. What it did, though, is pointed out a corrupt system of elections here in California, which is pervasive even today. There's reporting going on by Fox News, the Linda Payne election integrity system. Um, our project and, and uh, talking about the corrupt system. This is something that is, I think, resonating now throughout the nation. But the the um, the, the the people themselves, as they take a look and as I've seen, um, are becoming much more. I, I guess you would say in harmony with this what this president is saying and what he's doing. And I think that um, you're going to see a huge shift. I know in California, 
we just ran the numbers. My staff and I um, yesterday sat down and said, okay, let's take a look at the, the 53 districts of the represent <coughs> excuse me of the house of representatives because gee after all we have 53 seats um you may remember last year the debacle of the orange county um members of the house of representatives that were all wiped out in one vote you know of course it was ballot harvesting it was all the different things going on well this year it's a little bit different there's so much focus on the elections going on in california now because of the election integrity project and and the Trump administration and lawsuits and so on, that it seems to me that uh, Alex Padilla, our Secretary of State, who's a known communist and uh, socialist uh, of the likes of uh, of Javier Becerra and of course uh, Gavin Newsom, Jerry Brown, he's from that uh, that that ilk of communists, Jesuits, and Nazis, as I would call them. Um, he has, I think, buckled, and I think there's been some blinking going on about our elections out here, and it's, it was clearly evident in Tuesday's election. What happened in Tuesday's election was is that um, we got a glimpse of how badly I think the Democrats are going to be drubbed up by the Donald Trump tra uh, train and the New California State train. I think don't discount what's going on with the new California state movement. We are an absolute wedge issue between the Republicans and the Democrats in this election. Going into the election in 2016, we see that, we recognize it. We're, we're actually just trying to create a state, but then our timing is sublime in that we know that the, we, we're going to be influencing some outcomes. But, you know, we, we, we're, our, our goal is to become a state. But I want to get back to the assessment of those 53 seats. We went through uh, every single seat <clears throat> and determined that right now, currently, and maybe your listeners uh, don't understand how this all works in California, our election system has been completely compromised and corrupted, and it's been a process that's taken 20, 30 years by a series of, of um, propositions that changed this, the California state constitution. And what happened in the California state constitution in the most recent one is that there are a couple of commissions that were formed that were designed in 2008 and 10 to redistrict both the congressional seats and also the state seats, which they did. And, of course, shockingly, they, they redistrict everything so the Democrats would benefit by it, basically squeezing out all the Republicans. But on top of that, we went to the top two, um, you know, jungle primaries, they call it, like Louisiana and Nebraska have. Uh, see, Nebraska has this. This is a little secret, little secret. Nebraska has this top two business, which means that you eliminate party preferences. Oh, my God, we're eliminating party preferences, which, by the way, means you're eliminating a party, a political party. And um, Nebraska was the first to introduce this in 1935 under the, 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 the guise of a unicameral system of government not bicameral, which is what everybody is. Now, the unicameral system of government is professed in the United States by the Socialist Communist Party. They've been the ones behind this. And these clearly were the ones that were behind the 1935-36 unicameral legislature process um, in, in Nebraska. They wanted to uh, alleviate the expenses, they said, of uh, having a bicameral system. Well, BS. That was the height of, of course, the Socialist the Fabian Socialist influence in, in America, and they influenced Nebraska, which was starving for cash, and they were going through the Dust Bowl, 
And as a result, they ended up agreeing to a unicameral system, eliminating the, the, the House of Representatives and the Senate combination. That would be a bicameral situation. Most all other 49 states have a bicameral legislature, meaning a Senate and a, a House of Representatives or Assembly. Now what they have, they're all called senators in one house. Well, if you look at that, that's really a that's really a dictatorship within the House, just like Nancy Pelosi that I alluded to earlier. When you talk about Nancy Pelosi uh, in the House of Representatives, <clears throat> you know, leading the charge for impeachment, well, she took a monoparty. In other words, the the Democrats controlled the House of Representatives. When they controlled the House of Representatives, she abused the the control of it by breaking through and ignoring all the different protocols and precedent that was set, which is legally binding, by the way, and drove a, an illegal, unconstitutional impeachment. So that's a dictatorship or a democracy. You, what you have in Nebraska is a democracy, which is um, antithetical to anything else that we do with a bicameralism. So that started there. But also what started there was the top two, the top two process, which was, has been destroying the two-party system in California, actually started back then, but shockingly by the communist progressives. So now they want to change California uh, into a unicameral system, which, by the way, when in 2010, they went to the top two, just patterned right after what happened in Nebraska. They brought that in and made that constitutional law uh, a, a part of the Constitution of California. You can see how these people have been, you know, messing around with our own constitution. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. California has changed its constitution. Are you ready for this, ladies and gentlemen? Over 600 times since 1879. Is that all? They're not working hard enough. Hey, Paul, hold on just a second here. We're talking to Paul Preston, the president of the new California 51st state movement. On the side, I call him the governor. He rejects that. But anyway, I need to let you know we're going to keep the lights on here at the show, and we have a couple sponsors that are going to make that happen. One is Noble Gold, and we talked about that earlier in the show. They can convert your soon-to-be worthless cash assets or soon-to-be worthless cash assets into something productive, gold. They can convert your IRA to Noble Gold IRA and protect it with the gold backing, the only currency that's held its value for 6,000 years. Give them a call, 877-646-5347. That's 877-646-5347. And our storable food is flying off the shelves. Uh, we're meeting demand. We're meeting the production quotas that we need. Uh, they have opened up uh, new facilities. They've hired new staff to go 24-7, but we're being stretched to the hilt, so I wouldn't wait real long because there's going to come a time when demand and capacity and supply are not going to meet. So be wise. I think you see the danger coming. Don't put this off any longer. Go to preparewithdave.com. Take advantage of the nearly 40% off the four- and two-week packages. That's preparewithdave.com. We're back with Paul Preston, and we're talking about how the new California movement is going to change the face of politics in California. But, Paul, I need to let you know, I interviewed Chris Ann Hall, the constitutional attorney, the outstanding constitutional attorney, and I also interviewed Governor Huckabee um, at the convention, and I asked him both the same question. I said, do you see this having a generalizing effect that's happening here in California with the rest of the country? 
And effectively what they both said, and I'm going to paraphrase, but they both said pretty much it teaches people to take uh, their destiny and put it in their own hands. <laughs> I Wow. That's... Um... That's um, that's very true. It, it you know, um, first of all, this this um, new California state movement is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> no. <laughs> and let me tell you, I, my heart is not fainted at all. I mean, it is not for the faint of heart. And um, we do get people who come into the movement and they're a little bit over their head in terms of the leadership. Uh, some of them want to back out. In, in some cases, I don't let them back out. I force them back into the leadership, which all of a sudden they thrive in leadership. Um, some of them, for various reasons, want to, uh, to to get out and not be involved. With that, In the early days when we started New California, that was kind of like the calling. Everybody said, this is a little bit too much for me. Now what we're getting is people saying, where do I sign up? I'm, I'm one of the Minutemen. I'm, I'm here now. I'm going to start rocking and rolling. So we're getting a lot more of that, but it, um, yeah, it's it's um, you know it's very uh, I'm very flattered by the comments that they made. Um, this is an engaging. You got to get in it. You got to mix your hands in it. You got to get your you got to get muddy. Um, you got to yeah. slop around in it, and you have to you know save your nation. And that's really what this is. This is not about saving California. I mean. This is the key thing, and Mike Huckabee said this to me. He said, "You're going to save the nation." This yeah, that's is so important pretty to the much nation. what he's going to say. Pretty yeah. much what Governor said to me too during our interview, uh, where I took him backstage and we had about ten minutes together, and he said pretty much the same thing to me as did Chris Ann Hall. They both see this exactly the same way, as do I. So here you got. Three great intellects, okay, two. But anyway, you've got three, you've got three <laughs> no, people say saying the same thing. And I, I agree. This is going to transform the nation because people will start to look at, well, what was the model that they used? When this becomes a reality, the rest of the country, like those poor people in Illinois suffering under right. Obamanism, they're going to look at this and they're going to say, well, how did they do it? Well, let's do what they're doing. And I think I think you're going to see, uh, if not the creation of new states, which I think there's going to be more, but you're going to see uh, people learning to make their state that they're in right now buckle to the will of the majority. Well, you know, um, I think so. And you know, it's kind of interesting. You have um, a lot, a lot of statehood movements, and you 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 probably saw the uh, in the last couple of weeks all the secessionist uh, movements out there and people wanting to move forward. And I've been contacted by most of them, and uh, most of them don't know what they're doing. And I'm not saying that as a pejorative. Um, and if you're involved in one of those movements, don't stop. Okay, Because, you know, we were involved in a movement here, I was, that was going in the wrong direction. And then, we, you know, basically we put facts together and said, this is where we need to go. So we went in a different direction. So I say, don't stop. You, you will get your direction, but it's coming from the Constitution. I don't want to discourage people from this process because we have a problem. And the problem that we have is the fundamental problem of Reynolds versus Sims, where we have lack of representation in the state. You know, our, in all the states, in our system of governance grew up around bicameralism. And right now, in the states, we do not have bicameralism at all. You know, the, the notion of bicameralism is the fact that you have a Senate 
in the Senate um, versus the, literally versus the House of Representatives are co-equal branches within the legislature. They're co-equal branches. That doesn't mean one dominates the other. As you saw, the lobbying effects, the scurrilous comments by Schumer and by Nancy Pelosi attacking that, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell, um, that that's that dynamic is supposed to be there, where they're they're two separate but equal branches, and um, what they're what they're trying to do now, and what 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 I think that what people need to understand is that that existence of that does the, the existence of that does not happen any longer because of Reynolds versus Sims, the decision in which they made the state senators basically. Um, nothing more than members of their own state houses. So in other words, you know, when we talk about the Constitution and you take a look at the United States as a whole, um, there's two senators involved with every state. Every, regardless of population, there's two senators. And what those senators represent are the sovereign boundaries of that state. And it's they represent plants, they represent water, they represent oil, they represent mineral resources, they represent the people, they represent uh, the law, um, such as through your district attorneys, your sheriffs represent, of course, uh, um, the, you know, the whole law enforcement. But my point is, a senator, and there's two senators for every state, represents a sovereign boundary. This is the big federal model that we're talking about: fifty states, sovereign states all within the United States of America. But if you take a look at the state, it's, the state follows what's known as the little federal model. And a little federal model, rather than, uh, they have sub-states, and those sub-states are known as counties. And counties are the fundamental brick and mortar of this nation. All counties. They're the fundamental governance system that bleeds into and leads into the federal government system. So, what they did in Reynolds versus Sims is Reynolds versus Sims did away with the sovereignty boundaries of a of a county that would be represented by a senator. So, in other words, in the little federal model, just like the big federal model, counties had a senator or senators assigned to them. Reynolds versus Sims says, "Oh no, we can't do that. What we want to do in the state anyway is we want those." Senators represent people and populations. So now what you have is you have states like California that have 58 counties. And theoretically, they should have 58 uh, senators. Well, back in 1879, they kept the same number of senators that, that started out with counties, which was 40. And then they kept the same number of members of the assembly, which was 80. So the assembly was proportion was part uh, was set up on population proportion, and of course senators were on the, assigned to the forty counties. As we grew, they never grew that number of represent, representatives. So along comes the Reynolds versus Sims decision, and when that happened, what you had was a, a situation where you had the senators being stripped of their sovereignty over the counties that they were represented. And so what happened? was that they were assigned to population basis. So we take a look at uh, California today. It's it's uh, highly urbanized in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Sacramento. And the rest of California, which is rural, is, um, you know, of course, not urbanized. The problem is this. In the highly urbanized areas of the 40 senators, you have 33 senators. 
and the uh, the 85% of the rest of California, which is rural, is only represented by seven senators. I mean, everybody, as soon as they understand that, they look at it and go, no wonder we don't have representation out in the rural parts of California. And it's the same way, like, if you take a look at um, Illinois, where's all the representatives and where do all the resources go but to Chicago? In California, where's all the resources go? All the resources go to L.A., San Francisco. And I mean, we're talking about natural resources, every resources, because the, the legislature is clearly slanted toward urbanized areas, not out to the rural. There's, in other words, they broke the model of being able to represent um, their areas by Reynolds versus Sims saying, yeah, you have to represent populations, not just area. So this has been something that's got to be corrected. That's what we do in New California. Is How much awareness does the president have of this? Uh, my understanding, he's got substantial awareness. We've been sending him letters, and um, you know, it, well, I guess just, just put it this way: I think that uh, Mike Huckabee came out here um, on the blessings of President Trump. We've been sending a lot of uh, correspondence to the president because we need his help uh, to become New California. And uh, I was talking on an earlier radio show that. When you take a look at what we've done with our process to get the attention of the president, we have basically, um, we declared independence on January 15, 2018. And from that, uh, like the Declaration of Independence originally had, which were grievances, we filed 95 grievances over 95 weeks. In other words, we got up on the public square and we read our complaints not against the state of California per se, but against Donald Trump. We were complaining that in these grieving processes that we are not being represented. We don't have a Republican form of government. We're being invaded, which is, and of course, we're also having suffering from domestic violence. Those are basically the three tenets. So for 95 weeks, we leveled charges against Donald J. Trump to help us out. Yeah. And, and only he can help us out. And um, so when we send all that stuff to him, and he's aware of what we're doing, trust me. He's very much aware of what we're doing. And I think he's, uh, um, he wants to help out. And I, it's, it's about time that it starts to happen. There's no question about it. Well, I have to congratulate you because uh, attending that conference, and uh, I know my wife shared the same feelings I did, and she's a former corporate executive. She used to head up uh, McDonald's Corporation in Arizona. And uh, did that for 10 years. So she's been part of meetings like what you put on. And this was a full-fledged convention. But I have to tell you, it was organized. It was effective. Um, you hit so many different angles. And you had the right keynote speakers. Uh, <laughs> Chris Ann Hall uh, would have been a hell of a football coach with her ability oh, yeah. to motivate. She's tremendous. And then, of course, Mike Huckabee just makes you like him when he opens his mouth. He's such a good guy. Well, you know, he's got the Paul Harvey voice. Have you noticed that? Yeah, he does. And he makes you like him. I mean, it's just right away you warm up to him. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, um, the, the side story is is our security detail. You know, we had that, that whole thing set up. And we, um, one of our members has a limousine. And, he, and we've now nicknamed it, it's not the beast, because, you know, you, you don't have a beast around, right? Like the beast that the, the president drives around in. 
who we nicknamed our limousine the bear. <laughs> anyway, um, we went down and picked him up at the airport, and uh, everybody, you know, all of our people were proper, and it was very professional. And I, I got the, the videos and the audio and everything. It was absolutely outstanding by our security people, the New California State security people, I might add. And uh, he drives up in that limousine. He gets out of the car, and I just, I just love what he did. He turned to the first guy who was standing there, who was one of our security guys, and he goes, "Hi, I'm Mike Huckabee." You know, and she puts out his hands like the classic politician, but you know, you're just drawn in to um, his voice and the way he looks at you. He looks you straight in the eye, and um, he, you know, finally made his way up to me, and it was a, a great conversation. And along the way, he. He, you know, he, he got about another 10 votes before he ever got to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I, I got to say, I, I see where Sarah, his daughter, got, oh, her, yeah. got her charisma and strength from. That was, it was After spending some time with the governor, it was really clear. And uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, I think, would make a hell of an interim governor, and he suggested that. Well, you know, I suggested that he be, you know, the uh, interim governor. Exactly. Probably, yep. If you recall, when I was introducing him, I put him right on the spot. I mean, I, there was there was absolutely no quarter for him. He was standing out there, at the, they were ready to come up on the stage, and I just said, "Well, you know, we we have somebody right now we could probably consider to be the new uh, as a new interim governor." Uh, and of course, the the place just erupted, as you remember. And I, I remember looking at him. He's looking at me, just shaking his head. Big smile on his face, though. He, he took it to heart. He really well, just walking great. in, he got a standing ovation. Oh, yeah. The place erupted. Yeah, just in the middle of something else, all of a sudden, the whole place stopped, and everybody stood and clapped for him, and it was it was amazing. You know, I have to tell you, we'll go back to um, the 2016 election. If Trump hadn't been running, Huckabee was my choice. Yeah, no, he, um, you know, there was a lot of reasoning to bringing in uh, Huckabee, you know, Mike Huckabee, uh, that went behind our thinking, um, and a little bit of history. In the, in the Fifth Constitutional Convention, um, it was really evident, and, you know, my people, and we all talked to that, you know, as this, as our process moves forward, we're going to have to have somebody who's been a governor, somebody who's familiar um, with the details of being of good governance and so on. And so we looked around and we considered Mike Huckabee, but there were some other things that were extraneous to um, Mike Huckabee. And then um, Rick Perry stepped up, and he, he became our first choice primarily because, he, listen to this, he had done such a fantastic job of negotiating the natural gas contracts with the Ukraine. <laughs> uh, here we are right in the middle of the Ukraine thing with all this stuff. And we're looking at it. And remember, he wanted to step out. He was um, he was stepping down. By the way, nothing to do with Ukraine um, at all. He had predetermined he was going to step down. He's the longest sitting cabinet member to this day with Donald Trump. And he did what he needed to do, which was the gas contracts and everything. He did a fantastic job and really set us up in the United States. So um, looking at that and looking at the fact that he could be perhaps a potential governor based upon our natural resources here in California, uh, we wanted to make sure that we knew, had somebody that was knowledgeable, understood the needs and demands of a, a new California because we're incredibly rich in resources, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware. 
and we want to make sure those resources are properly handled. So we we looked at it and said, well, you know, he's just now stepping out of the um, energies are position. Let's get him in as new California. So we made a, an offer to have him become the um, the new governor, and of course that did not go, uh, unfortunately. So when um, we looked at who we wanted to have after that, and we looked around and said, well, you know, who else is there? And of course, uh, Mike Huckabee, former governor, and and then it, that started to make a lot of sense to us based upon the uh, the cultural aspects of what's going on in California. And also, we've got to remember something, that Mike Huckabee turned around Arkansas after the Clintons. Yeah, that's true, yeah. That's the, ba- the bounce-back effect. Oh, my goodness. I remember following that, and I-, I wondered, really, he was so bold and decisive in his early days as governor, I wondered when the Clintons were going to seek revenge on him, if you know what I mean. Right, Absolutely. And fortunately, it didn't happen. You know, he would have been a good running mate for uh, for Trump. But I know why Trump chose Pence because he needed right. the, he needed the Rust Belt, and Pence brought right. that to him. So I, I get that. But but uh, he would have been outstanding in the cabinet. I actually asked him. I said, "Are, are you thinking about 2024?" And he says, "No. He 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 thinks he's pretty much you know done his thing in politics." Um, so when we look ahead, I'm just wondering who replaces Trump. Because we're still in danger. When Trump leaves office, the country is still in danger. Yeah, uh, and I know that there's those out there, um, and we happen to be of that uh, ilk that uh, we take a look at um, Nikki Haley. I know that um, people are kind of just going kind of crazy thinking about Nikki Haley as a possibility. I think that um, I think there's a real possibility going on there that she could become uh, his running mate and then maybe get into the 2024 uh, position. But there's there, there's a lot of time between now and then. <laughs> and um, I think there's going to be a lot of decision-making. And I, I really like the job that uh, Mike Pence has done. I really do. I think that uh, just my gut tells me there's another calling for him. Um, the way I understand it, and from what I've been able to understand, when you and I'm – I'm not an expert on the the Trump inners in inner activities or anything like that, but what I what I see is that uh, Trump uh, looks at looks. It's kind of like a, a football coach or a basketball. You know, this is where you, you you understand this, Dave. It's kind of like you look at the number the the names of your your, um, your your team, and you understand each one of their capabilities, and you say, okay, I've got these twenty players. Let's say. And where am I going to put them on the field or the court? And when? And what are the best skills? And, and I think that, that Pence has some skills that Trump looks at and says, you know, he's best suited, or I need him here, and he needs to go fill that gap and play that position. That's a, that's the way I think uh, Trump looks at things. I have these players. I have these, these personnel. Where am I going to put them in what position that's going to serve the country the best? And, and I think that when you take a look at what Trump does, he does everything long term. This is not short term, you know, fly by the sea or pan swag, stupid wild ass guest government. That's not what he's doing. No, he, he's laying down something far more um, long term. That's why he's got, what, 220 now judges that have been approved under the Trump. That's just epic. That just sets this country in the course of uh, conservatism uh, for 20, 30, 40, 50 years out. 
It's just epic. So that's why I say there's going to be a place for Pence. There's going to be a great place for Pence if Pence if Pence decides not to be the running mate. I really believe that. So I don't know who's going to be the replacement for him, but I think Nikki Haley is the one that they're talking about right now. You really think that Pence is going to go by the wayside as far as the VP? I do. I, I, I And I say that because I think that Pence realizes there's a higher calling for him. What and I think that will be recognized. What, is that, what is that higher calling? Well, I'm not saying. Okay, could be the pastor of the First Baptist Church. That would be a good <laughs> higher calling. Um, uh, representative to the UN, who should we be kicking out of the country? Um, I, I'm just thinking out loud here. VP's number two, buddy. Anything else is a step down. Well, there, there may be one, I think, that um, is, is just as good a step in the long term. And I, I think that that's probably uh, what will happen. I'm just not going to say which one. Intergalactic minister to the alien forces that are visiting. <laughs> that would be it. All right. <laughs> that would be it. That's, that's it. <laughs> that's that's it. it. Well, I want to hit a few current events before we go. Um, sure. And, and um, one of the things I'll share with you, a senior federal law enforcement agent who asked me not to mention his agency, but it, you can narrow it down to two. Uh, contacted me tonight by text, and we we communicate a lot. And I asked him, it was funny, we were en route back from San Luis Obispo from the convention, and, boy, we got a, a bad noise coming out of your mic. Do, do you hear that? Do you hear that, that noise? Better? No, I don't know what that was. Anyway, sounded like chipmunks trying to get out of the cage. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um uh, we were coming back, and um, he, I, I, he was texting me, how was the convention, wish I could have gone, blah, blah, blah. And and, I, and I, I wrote to him, I said, you know, I heard something when I was here. I said, is the southern border going to get shut down because of the virus? And it was a real firm one-word answer, no. Well, tonight, here, let me see if I have this here. I want to read it verbatim here because you're going to get your reaction to this. This is pretty amazing here. Um, here, let me scroll down here. Um, heads up. Discussions of closing the southern border is happening now, right. possibly starting in California. Do you know anything about this? No, um, I don't know anything about the orders in regards to that, but um, it was uh, something that was discussed with me the other day. I was asked an opinion about it, and I said, hello, um, we're closing down the rest of the country except the southern border at California, and everybody who's got a disease can come across. Now, it, again, Dave, we've been allowing this for years now in California. Anybody with a disease could come across. This is the, uh, this is the invasion of our country that everybody's been protesting about. Now, I'm not faulting the migrants, the illegal immigrants who come across, it's the, it's the uh, cartels and the, the coyotes and all these people that sure. are making billions of dollars off these people. We need to stop this right now to protect ourselves from the uh, coronavirus. And I think it's going to happen. Uh, I was asked, my opinion was, what do you think, what do you think we ought to do? I said, well, this is what I think you ought to do is shut it down. I mean, it just makes sense to shut it down. And I know if it was New California, it would be shut down and done now. But, you know, it's interesting. 
Nancy Pelosi doesn't step up to say shut it down. You don't see you don't see Gavin Newsom running around down there at the, at the border say shut it down, protect people from the coronavirus coming in through the southern border. That's okay to them. I mean, this is it, it is so outrageous what these folks are doing. So um, yeah, I would support. I would expect that they would be shutting it down. That's just you know. What I would think. I'm sorry. I'm losing it a little bit when I think about these kind of stupid things. No, I, I listen. I, I it's 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 just common sense. You don't even need to go beyond that. Listen, you you have not heard one statement from Newsom's office about shutting down the border or working with ICE to shut down the border so that we can prevent the coronavirus coming across. Yeah, exactly. The only place you've been hearing that, Dave, is from the President of the United States to protect the ports. But he's a racist. Because he has federal authority. <laughs> he's a racist. Yeah, right. He's That's racism. Hey, if you want to stop the coronavirus, it's racism. It's racism. Oh, there was a deal. Gosh, what was it? Uh, uh, State College of New York, something like this. And they had a, a, a Chinese activist group. Uh, called Asian something, and I apologize to the organization. I don't mean to show you disrespect because I can't recall your name off the top of my head. But I did a report on this. And this uh, group of frat students, uh, they did a commercial to advertise a party they were having on Instagram. And on it, they had a row of Corona bottles of the beer. <laughs> and they said, we're not letting no Corona stop our party. Okay, now, to me... That's like a Saturday Night Live skit. It's kind of funny. And, it is. And, and, but this group didn't think it was funny. They actually went to the uh, administration of the college and demanded these students were disciplined for racism. Yeah, we've, we've um, the race cards. Uh, you know, what's kind of interesting, um, you know, there are 52 cards in a deck. I think we're probably down to the last um, one or two race cards left in the deck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we're I think we're so all everybody's so over the top, you know, tired of being called racist. You know, I picked a pimple on my forehead. I'm a racist. I know. I hear you. I see racism in the wallpaper. Uh, it's just ridiculous what's going on here. Um, you know, I flicked my light switch the other day, and the light went on and said racist. Yeah, well, the light was white, so you know it had to be racist. Oh, no. That's right. <laughs> of course, I don't know what it would be a black light. Uh, no black just, light. Yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, and it's funny. I interviewed a gentleman who owns a Mexican restaurant, and he's oh, making no. national headlines. Oh, yeah, I went down to Tucson to see him yesterday. And I got to tell this very quickly because we're almost out of time. But uh, his name is Jorge Rivas, and his wife's name is Betty. Jorge's from El Salvador. He's been here 25 years. And he's got a very successful restaurant, and he's a Trump supporter. He and his wife went to the Trump meeting in Phoenix, the, the rally, and people are sending them death threats. So what happened to his business? It's increased about 20-fold. It's kind of like, yeah, I didn't expect this to happen. I was kind of nervous. And he says, all of a sudden, these people started showing up supporting me. And he, and he gets it. He's a guy that gets it. And he says, when you come here to this country... A lot of people just want to send their money home to their relatives. And I said, well, I get that. I do the same thing. He said, but they're missing the point that they've now stepped into a land where they have real freedoms. And that is really an astute statement. Paul, my friend, we are totally out of time. Got to run. Hey, thanks for joining us. Great job with the convention. And continue good luck with New California. Thank you, Dave. Okay. Good night. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you back here in the next broadcast. Thanks for joining us.